Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of In the Landscape. We're in it. (laughs) Episode 50. Oh my goodness. Coming up on our 52nd episode, which I believe we've done at least an episode every week. And so that'll be one year. That's right. Crazy to think about. It's one trip around the sun is what my mother likes to say when it's someone's birthday. (laughs) Yeah, we do that for birthdays too. That's so fun. So we're here in our humble home studio, getting ourselves prepared for another episode. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time listening to us, we hope you find something useful as well as moderately entertaining. (laughs) We try to keep it interesting. And of course, we've got several back episodes at this point. So if there's anything that you're interested in, whether horticultural or design specific, there's a little bit of something for everyone, Mm -hmm. I I hope. So today's episode is all about curb appeal. We're getting into a design topic today. So we kind of like go from horticulture to (laughs) design to landscape history. And so today's focus really is more in the design realm, Mm -hmm. which is exciting because we're actually developing a number of online courses. Yes, it's, a, it's a, I mean, I don't know if it's our own stuff. We don't really break out to say this is an ad sponsored by King Garden. <laughs> um, but King Garden is our landscape design company. And so we do have sort of a for-profit business over on the other side. And so what we're doing is putting together a number of online classes. You've taught some, we talked about it this last episode. You taught some live webinars and have a mm-hmm. few coming up. And so we have some that are just as it's kind of like the podcast where they're very landscape maintenance related, landscape sciences, even biology related, ecology related classes. But we're starting to get some of our design classes together. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the curb appeal class, uh, which is a short course, uh, sort of like the principles of design, but distilled down to focus on the facade of a property. And so it's been fun to put together because I'm getting an education in all of this as well. I don't know if... And you have I a mean, great background in research and education and then just that we spend so much time together. I know. It's like I mean, through osmosis, <laughs> things that were, which I learned over four years of undergrad, three years of graduate school, and my 48 years on the earth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I share as we travel throughout the world. Yeah. I'm an avid student myself, so... The goal is to kind of combine our talents for, you know, I'm in the performing arts. And so hopefully the, the kind of like the podcast, like the, the, the tone of our voices can be relaxing. <laughs> so if you want to take a class that's relaxing and informative, kind of like these podcasts, our hope is that that's available for you. But, but also, yes, my doctorate, which hopefully will be done in the fall, is in education. So mm-hmm. we're not just kind of throwing something together I, because we're not an accredited university per se. Like we're not like, you know, the Texas A&M extension, which is offering courses, totally fabulous. We love taking them as much as putting them together, but there is kind of this academic rigor that is being invested in this little project for us. And a lot of it is born out, you know, from necessity because we're adapting to a changing economy and the changing careers. And, and right. so, you know, all that to say that we welcome feedback and classes are on sale. We try to make them accessible. So, you know, if you have interest, put that out there. And we're working through the process of being accredited, if that's the right word, mm-hmm. for professionals. Definitely. So yes. Landscape architects, 
and certified arborists, mm-hmm. some of the, the talks we've given and trainings, I would say architects were like the, one of the main mm-hmm. attendees that were doing it for credit, the AIA. So we're working through that process because that's an ongoing need. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the reasons we share the process is one of our most popular episodes was that writing on the landscape. So mm-hmm. It doesn't escape our sort of attention that we probably have other professionals listening to this podcast who may be interested in doing something similar. So we are planning an episode on how to how this is kind of done and what what trying to get accreditation looks like and and that sort of thing. So so again, if it can be helpful for somebody to get their enthusiasm and their knowledge out there, you know, the more the <laughs> the more the merrier. And it varies yeah. too, but the American Society of Landscape Architects, I think you applied to that first to become accredited mm-hmm. and that was pretty involved and rigorous. Oh yeah. But then once you're approved, then it's, it seems like it's pretty straightforward. Yes. Where with the international society of arboriculture, it was seemed like it was easier to apply, but every it's time like you proof. offer a, it's yeah. a course, you have to, you have to fill out paperwork. Right. So, so it's just different styles. Yeah, sorting out your process and seeing. And they were you- helpful. I called ISA just the other day and I said, could you walk me through how to do this? But then actually I asked them, since I'm giving these trainings, do I, how do I get credit since I'm, I'm doing a lot of research and teaching and I'm learning myself. And so to fulfill my own needed credits and the administrator said, here's the steps you can apply and get credit for what you're teaching. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, public speaking is something many, many people, it's like the last thing they would want to do. But for, for those of you listeners out there who kind of want to know more about that, we'll have an episode coming up and hopefully it'll be of interest as well. So and people often know more. I mean, people have coached me on this. As you progress through life in your career, you know more than you think you do. Mm-hmm. And you know a lot more than someone, the average person that is not in that profession. Mm-hmm. And so when you just start to share about it, you, people often, you know more than you think you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're also excited to be getting into um, hopefully the the tool sale business as All well. Right. So we're we're researching brands that we would like to represent, and so we're hopeful that we'll have a little bit of a, a giveaway for our listeners for the fifty second episode. All I right. mean, I don't know how else to like make it exciting, but uh, but we might have a hand tool or something that mm-hmm. that we can give away to our listeners. Um, so it's fun. It's fun to to have a podcast, to interact with listeners, to get shout outs on social media and questions. You know, sometimes we just take questions by email and answer them. And, you know, it's, it's great to be, to be able to share knowledge. That's really ultimately what it's all about, you know, is to make, to make a a modest living, but then for the most part, connect with people, especially in service to the plants, because a lot of what Mm. we do is so plant centric that we're hopeful that, you know, ecologically, ethically, it's, it's having a benefit for gorgeous landscapes out there. We don't want any, we don't want them to suffer. (laughs) Be an advocate for the plants. Yeah. The Dr. Seuss book, The Lorax, where he's, Mm. the Lorax stands up for the trees. Yeah. Because the trees can't stand up for themselves. Yes. And we had another development was doing topiary design remotely. Oh yeah. That's been fun. And that worked out quite well. I mean, we have multiple projects of that going on where just with site photos, if it's an existing plant, existing plants, we get those photos. We work up, we research topiary his, uh, history and precedence of which we're of, planning to present as an episode. So stay tuned if topiary is your thing. And so quite a bit can be done. Whether I end up visiting and performing 
the topiary shaping. In some cases, I will at a future point when I can safe to travel. And then other cases, a trusted partner that we work with in that region of the country, well, they'll have a scale drawing and instructions, and I talk them through the steps. Well, and it's interesting because a lot of topiary images seem to, as you were pointing out, it's almost like single, single stem, single trunk plants that have been kind of shaped with clouds or little balls or whatever. And part of the part of the art is that not all like the plants that we think could be shaped into these shapes are not suited to those shapes. And so it's a little bit, you know, we've talked on this podcast before and hopefully shared with other professionals in the out there listening that it's all about like client expectation. And if somebody's really wedded to the idea of this like single stem thing, but the plant just isn't that, then you have to kind of guide people in the right direction, which We've found, especially, you know, speaking of educating, that with sufficient education, which I should say from a humble perspective comes from having done the research, that if you just mm-hmm. present the information clearly, then people are able to make informed decisions that are in the best interest of the plant and kind of then achieve the aesthetic value that they're looking for. Right. To set the plant up for, like with topiary, what shape would this like a false cypress was one that came up recently. It was like a gold false cypress. So what would that look like growing like without any pruning? And then work backwards. Okay, it's like an upright conical, more or less. And so the topiary shape ought to be harmonious with the way it's its natural inclination to grow. Hmm. And then it's gonna be it's likely to be successful. Awesome. So I don't know. We always go off on a bit of a tangent at the start of the episode. Yeah. I <laughs> Hopefully, as you get to know us over the course of listening, it's helpful, entertaining, informative. I don't know. But we do like to kind of preview some of the upcoming episodes and and keep you up to date on what's going on for us in terms of our experience in the industry in case that's helpful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And then... Hopefully, by this point in the episode, we get on to our topic. So if anybody wants to skip, they can do so pretty consistently and then delve right into whatever the topic is. So we're talking curb appeal. And of course, we are... We acknowledge having lived in many different styles of properties. I've been in, as you have, like apartments in Manhattan and Brooklyn, townhouses in the villages north of of New York. Now we're in a big, very sort of traditional, what you would think of as suburban (laughs) environment. Mm -hmm. So we want to open... Like, please interpret what we're saying for whatever your facade happens to be, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether it's a couple of containers outside and a, and a welcome mat outside your Manhattan apartment. Like that invitation to the home is what we're thinking of when we say curb appeal. All right. Yeah, that's a great like to define what what is it? Yeah. So how would you suggest we get into really any design topic, but in terms of curb appeal What's kind of the first step? Well, we always ask, what's the program? Always, which is so helpful. And it's really, I mean, I've said it before. We've talked a lot about our backyard, but today I kind of wanted to use the example of our front yard Mm -hmm. just, you know, to talk about specific issues that one might encounter. So one of the programs that comes to mind with the curb appeal in particular is where's the front door? Like how do we, there is this sense of, invitation, especially I might maybe qualify this with like North American homes with the large yard, because there's like, 
in a lot of ways, you know, if it's those adorable row houses in like Maryland, in Annapolis, Maryland or something, oh, right. this, the challenge is a little different. But for some of these big suburban homes, it's like even getting to the front door, you're like traversing quite a bit of property before right. you get there. What is that term wayfinding? So are there, yes. when you enter a park, is there a sign or a kiosk that says, like we were just at a park this morning, people were exercising, walking, biking. Is there a circulation pattern? So there are visual cues which can help you with wayfinding. So some of the calls we get are a contemporary home or a renovation. What often occurs, the front door is not obvious, or I can think of multiple examples. The door the homeowners want people to use is really the side door. Oh, yeah. So the front door, I can think of one where it was the renovation. And so the front was like a Greco-Roman portico covered porch and there was a door there into the house but they that was the porch was for their use they didn't want the delivery man entering through the porch Mm -hmm. but that's the wayfinding it was this big beautiful open porch and so there we sort of deconstructed the landscape where we created asymmetrical planting so symmetrical planting plant down two evergreen shrubs and it's like two soldiers Mm-hmm. And it's like a like a landing strip. It directs you when you see groups of plants, when you see groups of two, your eye more or less goes to the middle mm-hmm. and you're gonna make a beeline for that area often. If you don't want someone to enter an area, then you do the opposite, where there's asymmetrical, there were a group of evergreen shrubs that concealed the steps actually, and then there were summer flowering plants, hydrangeas. So you could still see the door. But the visual language is, this is not an entrance. Hmm. Interesting. Now, it's funny because you think of like bigger, well, I mentioned apartments in Manhattan. I actually had a friend who lived in, it lives in an apartment there that has a second door. Like it's not common. (laughs) It's usually (laughs) one door, but there was a service entrance that goes to the kitchen. And there's like, you have to, and it's actually the door as you're coming off the stairs that you encounter before the second, before the actual entrance. So Mm -hmm. it's. I mean, it can happen anywhere. And, and helping. signage can help. So, yes. so pots, having urns, pots that are with flowers, that can be a visual cue, signs of caring. Oh, okay, that's maybe where the door is. A, a sign that says welcome or that says the Sadlers or in like larger properties, whether it's public or private, a sign that'll say service entrance or service parking. I mean, the estates we work on, there's almost always service parking. So it's, what's the program? It's, a, it's like a large army of people to maintain, whether it's a private, ins, private home or an institution. Mm-hmm. So really thinking, and I can think of estates where on service roads at intervals, every 300 feet, there is service parking. Is it so large? Yeah, really thinking it through. Oh man, if you've ever, well, I've done performances at some large, rather large concert halls around the country. And the stage door is never obvious. Like it's oh. you're, you're you're being deterred from coming in that that entrance. But right. you know if you're participating in the performance, you have to find it. So, is there any other programming? I mean, of course, getting into the property is one of the programs for the front yard. Do they t- tend to have other programs, or or what else should we be the mindful front door, of? I mean, the seasons are very important. So, if you're going to be selling a house, let's say. The owners love crab apple trees. Well, and I'm so sorry not to interrupt, but that is a program too to to be thinking about. Mm. So, is this 
for your own aesthetic enjoyment oh, right. for like, years to come. Like it's really like a fork in the road. Exactly. Or are you preparing it to sell it? So in the terms of selling it. The season you plan to sell it is, mm. I mean, there's, there's I mean, the, the realtors that we're from friendly with, they call it, there's the spring market. So you're, you know, it's like a horse race. You're going to be entering. So like maybe the year before or the summer before you're prepping, planning and saying this should look as good as possible. For the spring. Oh, yeah, that's good. So that would determine. Now, if it didn't sell in the spring, which happens all the time, (laughs) so like a crab apple is going to look good for a period of time. I wouldn't say it's it's most beautiful in the winter. So maybe that's not the tree to invest in. It determines when you're going to sell. Now, if it's for your own enjoyment, you're there for four seasons, Mm -hmm. (laughs) then that's different. Well, you know, we did do an episode on real estate while ago, maybe a couple months ago. So that may have some other items of consideration to think about if you are tuning into this episode specifically for prepping to sell, mm-hmm. go back and listen to that episode as well. Because it, it does have to do with people's perception of your home. So are you doing it with your own preferences in mind 100%? Uh, or are you kind of I don't know, anonymizing and, and the palette in order to make it appealing to the widest group of people yeah, who may be point. coming through. Well, let's see, my, my notes are, I can run through sort of an outline. So for curb appeal, it's, and I'd say this is more or less in order. There'd be removals, replace, uh, I'm sorry, removals, repairs, replacements, and additions. So thinking through removals, now it's tempting to remove something that's objectionable, maybe it's an overgrown plant, or there's sometimes there are negative effects of a removal. So without a replacement, a removal is not necessarily, if there's an imperfect, let's say it's an overgrown azalea. So if that's blocking the walk, it's really thinking that through. If that leaves, it's going to be this giant hole, which would be pretty, might be costly to replace. And then there might be, and then in the replacement plant may be tiny. So sort of thinking through, not necessarily aiming with any of this curb appeal, not aiming for perfection. Oh. Because mm. it's it's often a limited time window. Well, and one of the things that you pointed out was in, in a previous design episode was that sometimes the job is to distract. So mm. you can leave that as like a space holder and then maybe plant something around it. Or I think one of the suggestions you you found during research. Which is, <laughs> which is a good one, uh, sort of obvious, is like paint the door, paint the door a nice color and, and hang a wreath. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the eye is like really drawn to the door as opposed to whatever objectionable bush is sitting there. Right. You know, when, you, when you Google, do a search for curb appeal, it's, I would categorize the, the suggestions are often somewhat accessories. So yeah. it's paint the front door, replace the doorknob, have a nice door knocker a wreath, planters with flowers. And so those are, I mean, you still have to be mindful. Is this like appropriate for the architecture for say you're in a tropical climate, having a bright pink door that might be perfectly harmonious. If you're in like a new England fishing village, maybe a pink door, maybe that would be so out of place that would people be like, what is this? Well, and there may even be, we have, really robust uh, homeowners associations Mm -hmm. in this area. 
and deed restrictions, I think are what they're called here. And then there are also like historical societies that will maybe have a palette of colors that you get to choose from and, and that's it. So it is a good idea to do that research first to make sure you're prepared. So taking our own yard, I mean, it's almost like my thought would be take everything away and start over. Not really. (laughs) Um, We're, you have been doing some drastic pruning to encourage things to grow a certain way, that certainly takes time. So it's not a full removal of the plant, but it's a full removal of enough vegetative material that it it creates kind of a gap. But the word I think of for our facade is like dark, which in Texas you wouldn't think would be much of a problem because shady is good, but it's the door is dark. It's, it's covered. So there's like this dark, not a proper porch, but a little... And it doesn't have stairs, so it's not quite a stoop, but, you know, a little, little covered area. And then these two big, big kind of live oaks competing with each other, it feels like. And so it's, you know, the grass is kind of spotty. And it's just, it's, so it's very, it's like you're kind of entering this black hole to We're me. Not, right. The plants are not that vigorous. Well, some of them were overgrown. So we reduced those mm-hmm. where they were sort of crowding. It felt crowded. So thinning the canopy that's a way to get more sunlight in. Like, it's not necessarily a matter of planting more plants because the plants that are there, some of them are struggling. So thinning the canopy, allowing more sunlight in, it would make it feel more cheerful. And then it will give the plants that are there, the lawn and the shrubs. I mean, in Texas, the growing season is almost, I mean, it's like 10 months. It's a long mm. growing season. Maybe there's a little bit in the summer in this in the winter there's brief periods where the plants may slow down <laughs> so that would be a case just thinning the canopy allowing more sunlight in that the trees frame the house so often leaving your property and that might be crossing a street or standing on your neighbor's property and getting perspective on your house because mm. that's how when someone visits your home that's how they're going to see mm-hmm. it so if there's a long approach i remember a project I think it was in New Jersey, and it was the end of a street. So it was an original home. It was the, the client's home that was probably from the 1800s, very historic. It had this opera balcony, and there was a history of somebody living there. I think that was a opera sing- like a historic opera singer. The neighborhood had been subdivided. So their driveway was more like, like an easement, and there were homes packed right next to their driveway. So as you entered this cul-de-sac, it was not apparent that there was a, that the client had a home back there. So you're, this entry road, you're driving in the road, and there's a home at the end of the street, and that's, that looks like the destination. There's, there's nothing else you can see. Then when you get to the client's driveway, then there were nice stone pillars in the driveway. So my design concept there was to obscure the neighbor's home. So we planted a shade tree and an ornamental tree, and then we created a boxwood cloud. So it sort of downplayed the, the neighbor's house. And then when you got to the driveway, it became very obvious. And there was, we brought the number sign closer to the road so you could see it. So sometimes it's concealing or downplaying something that could be misleading. We're thinking through the other items you mentioned on the list, repairing, replacing, and that brings up the concept. So as you're thinking program, also thinking timeline and budget, because what mm-hmm. we've discovered, not that we're unique, but like 
time is the great sort of inverse relationship with budget oh, in a way when it comes to landscapes in particular because so the shorter time like like you coined that that was insightful in a previous episode how the shorter your timeline then the more expensive it is to have impact yes so if, if you have three years you plant a small tree it'll be it might be a medium-sized tree in three years depending where you are in the world yes because we're dealing with plant material. So plant material, you know, it just has to have time to mature and kind of fill in to really have an impact. Of course, maybe it's a different kind of equation if it's time and like architectural material because it can deter- deteriorate over time. But in any event. Oh, I know um, there's a little anecdote about that where it was a, the opening of a project, like a corporate office, I think, and like a, like a ribbon cutting. Mm. So the architect was there and the landscape architect was there. The architect was the person was taking all kinds of pictures and this like a reporter was like, oh, you must be so proud. Your team worked so hard on this for many years. And the architect said the building will, nev- will never look so beautiful as it mm. does today. All the materials are perfect. The copper, the stucco, the paving and the landscape architect was not taking any pictures. And the reporter said, you must be so proud. It looks so beautiful. And the landscape architect said, it will never look so humble. The, the plants haven't filled in. The tree is in shock. And so, I mean, we find that when we work with photographers to photograph our work, you often want to come back two or three years after it was planted. And even mm-hmm. if you can come back 10 years, then it, re- then it really looks amazing. The tree is filled in, the ground cover, the shrubs. So that's the element of time. Yes, which is, you know, it, it can be somewhat compensated for in terms of buying bigger plants that are ready to go. But, but there, it, you know, what you said about plants being in shock, et cetera, like because they grow together and almost my, my sense is, I think this is borne out by research. They almost have like a relationship with each other in the landscape mm-hmm. that there really is like this you know, growing together that you get with time. Which but you can't like. quite replicate just, you know, even if they're nice and big, putting them in the ground. I mean, the average person won't notice potentially and, and you'll sell your house. It'll be great. But there is something settled about a garden that's had uh, a chance to grow together. You know, that came up. We had a boxwood question. The person might've been in the mid-Atlantic. And if I remember correctly, they transplanted boxwood, mm. like, like, like a number of pretty large. And the leaves, so it was in the spring, so there was new growth, and the leaves, they were all reaching one direction, and it looked awkward because it was not the way the sun was. And so we explained, it may take a few months for the leaves and the plants to reorient, mm. and it could look awkward. That's why when, you, when we plant something, we find the face, mm-hmm. which is more or less the most favorable side. And it was probably the way the plant was growing. When it was in a nursery condition, it was, if you plant the back, it could be thinner. And when you do it in, in mass, so when, when we work on projects, we often, the four person will say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face all the plants. I'm going to set them in place. With a large plant, we often tie a ribbon where the face is. So as you're moving it into place or mm. with a machine, that's an important detail. That's a good suggestion. I'm dying a little because we have, um, so we're in our home studio, we have folks down the street doing 
yard maintenance. And so I'm like, oh no, you might, I, you know, every once in a while it's our cocker spaniels or in this case, it's the yard maintenance crew out there. So um, it's appropriate it's like yes. in the landscape. <laughs> I mean, we hire a professional to help clean up our stuff anyway, but I, uh, <laughs> I wish them well with this episode and hopefully our listeners aren't too bothered. Anyway, um, it may be a familiar sound to some of them. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was out just the other day edging and, and trying to tidy up our yard. So curb appeal, what, what are the other principles you think we should bear in mind? So repairs, that's also to carefully consider is it's uh, now, does that apply to plants or just to the, it could be the materials? It could be the materials. So like if there's a walk, if there's mortar between the bricks. So before you do a repair, it's good to talk to someone that's an expert. There's times where a zealous homeowner will say, oh, I so proudly ripped up all this concrete. or And then you'll explain, well, and that could be $15,000 to, to redo this. And so there might, maybe there was an $800 repair that could have been done. Might not look perfect, but it would be perfectly serviceable. And they said, oh my gosh, that's our whole budget for the for planting. And so the removals, the repairs, to go somewhat gently, not aim for perfection, because perfection is awfully expensive and you might not be able to achieve it within your timeline. Then replacements. So that's like really thinking it through from the beginning. So we're going to remove something that's objectionable and there's a logical replacement. And I would always suggest replacing with native plants, mm-hmm. you know, checking something that's not, that it's not invasive. Um, well, and it's so funny. I was passing a home in the neighborhood and there's this gorgeous flowering plant, but it, it's like growing over the walkway and kind of like out into the, like, it's just obscuring the literally where you would walk to get to the door. And the first thing that came to mind was that's the wrong plant. And the wrong, it's like not the right plant in the right place, basically, right. because what it was doing was really like the shape of it was really beautiful. And it had all these blooms that you wouldn't necessarily want to prune off. You know, you wouldn't want to like cut it so that it wasn't obscuring the pathway. So it's really saying like, is this, is this a plant that's going to be easily shaped in order to kind of, because I think maintenance is something, especially if you're going to stay, but you know, even if you're going to the seed the home to someone else in a sale, you're going to want to maybe give them the gift of low maintenance. <laughs> so, right. Because um, harm could be done if yeah. not the right plant. Yeah. Like the ornamental arborvitae, a type of a cedar. That's, I mean, at, at the large big box stores, I mean, that's maybe the, like maybe the number one plant I'm going to guess. So putting in a row of those for the right place, it can be perfectly, you know, a reasonable approach, but is there enough sun? Uh, is there enough moisture? Are there deer or other plants, like other animals that are going to eat that? And so the overall principle with curb appeal is keep it simple. Mm, that's a good one. And with the replacements, I mean, opting for a slightly larger plant than if you were going to, if you want, if you're going to do it to sell. And so saying, well, I mean, I can think of a home where we did this. We said, we're going to go with slightly bigger plants. But there's not going to be there are not going to be that many of them. But what is there will be slightly bigger. Now trees, you get a lot of impact for the budget because mm. it grows pretty quickly. So having the shrubs that are fairly good size to start with in a key area, that's usually a good good for the budget, and it's there's lots of impact. And then a tree in a key spot, 
which could help you help direct you to the home. So maybe you're walking down the front walk and in the distance, your eye sees this tree. Maybe there's a silhouette of a maple tree or a, or a, or a pine tree. So, so that would be, I mean, planting a little tree right by the front door, right in the front of the house. It's, there's a good intention, but it's not the right plant. And that's going to be disastrous to have a giant, like a tree that will become 80 feet tall. That's like right at the front door. And I, and I see that regularly. <laughs> <laughs> now, one thing we've talked about before on the, on the episode as well, and, and what you mentioned about the tree just reminded me that we've talked about being good neighbors. And then earlier in this episode, getting information about homeowners association regulations or, or whatever, but also being mindful that your interaction with the front of your home is with the entire municipality potentially. So you Mm -hmm. have to be careful about, and then maintenance of plants, like the number of overgrown plants in a town we used to live in. It's it's popular to have screening right up to the edge of the property, right where the sidewalk is, which is everyone's right. And and yes, it's a very trafficy road potentially. And it's a little bit more of that, that aesthetic where you don't have the long lawn to keep distance between your house and the road. So you're planting right up to the edge, but then the plants are oppressive for anybody trying to walk down the sidewalk or potentially if you're on a street corner, making the sight lines challenging or even growing over the municipality signs. And, you know, they, I guess eventually should catch up to you and let you know you need to fix it. But in the meantime, you're, you're maybe not being the, the most mindful neighbor for the rest of the community. So it's thinking through what can I do to achieve my goal of kind of protecting this little inner courtyard, but not have, you know, if, if I don't want to maintain it personally or pay someone to do it, is it realistic to have this plant that, you know, grows these long branches? So, uh, you know, like when you're plant, planting screening plants or hedges, so the more urban, generally the more screening you have. If there's 150 feet from the road, maybe you don't need a hedge. But when it's 15 feet, you might want a hedge. And so being mindful, what width will that hedge become? It's, rare, it's very rarely planted being mindful of its eventual width. Mm. It's planted as if it was a piece of furniture. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm putting the lamp next to the chair. That's mm-hmm. where I want. And that lamp is never going to change. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to grow over the chair. But a hedge, let's say there's in the river towns of New York, the Hudson Valley where we live, it's very hilly. So there's lots of retaining walls. And then there's a hedge and then there's front yard. So if that hedge will be, I mean, an average hedge is going to be five or six feet wide. Mm-hmm. That's even with maintenance. So that would mean the center of the plant, you should plant it about three feet back from the wall. And so it's going to look a little silly when to start with a little plant. But so that's being mindful of its long-term growth. If you plant it a foot from the wall, then it's going to grow out Mm -hmm. three more feet. And then the same with a walk. If it's planted a foot from the walk, then that maintenance, it's often to the point where you have to remove a plant because it's, Mm because you really can't prune it back without being yeah. harmful. Well, and the same is true, I, I guess, for repairs, as you mentioned, that that if you get to that stage of your curb appeal project, you know, be judicious, maybe ask someone for a professional opinion, because one of the things that might need to be repaired kind of in our front area is 
it, things that have gotten a little off kilter because I assume because of the two big trees and the root system. Oh, right. And so any repairs we make, we don't want to be detrimental to the trees themselves. Oh, thank goodness I live with you. So <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> the Lorax. But, I'm always yes. thinking of like what can be done, but being mindful of the trees. Yeah. And, and how do you, you know, what are your options if you just have a, a rooty kind of rumbly mess, you know, that's when maybe a professional landscape designer is the one because what, and we've talked about this before, a designer's job is to problem solve. And so it's like, if you get to the point where it's not kind of like an obvious solution, maybe then call in the professional. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, cleaning the curb appeal when you do the research, it doesn't suggest cleaning, but so down here in, in the Southern U.S., it's very it's high humidity. So power washing is a big component of home maintenance. The concrete gets, I'm not sure if it's mildew, but it, it gets discolored. The homes do. So there's that sort of first step of cleaning what you have, and then it might be repairing, whether it's concrete or a coat of paint. And, and as you said, container gardens can be done well with an abundance of containers, for example, but subtractions first, maybe before you do more additions, mm -hmm. because it, it does seem like the simpler aesthetic is, is just easier, especially if you're thinking of selling or, you know, need to meet certain standards. It's like the simpler, the, the easier, really. Right. So. A cone of paint. And, and a planter go a long way. Well, is there anything else to mention here as we wrap up this episode? Well, let's see, additions, we can go over that a bit. So additions would be, again, being mindful, is it money well spent? So is it, so is it the right plant in the right place? To keep it simple, to plant in groups. So if there's an area of the front of the house where we say, oh, that's sort of blank, uh, let's plop a rose bush or a hydrangea there. You generally would want to do several. And so if there's not room for that, then to really think, well, is there another way to achieve this? Maybe then maybe it is a planter. And the eye is going to see when, when there's groups of, when there's two, it's a, you more or less make a beeline for it, like we said. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's a single element, then it should be really, you know, eye-catching or great. If you can't plant in the ground, this comes up all the time because there's mature trees. Mm -hmm. There could be a group of planters. That could be the foundation planting. There could be three planters that meet, more or less match the architecture, and then seasonal plants. But the additions, there should be a level of precision that it looks intentional, that the mm -hmm. spacing is right. So a professional could help with that. Uh, that it's done with intent, too. That it looks, that there's, that there's confidence. Like, oh yeah, this looks like the right plant, the right place, the right scale. I think those are the points of removals, repairs, replacements, additions. So thinking of a budget in advance, talking to professionals, you can can help you prioritize to sort of zoom in on what can we do with what we have. And the more time you have, that's going to keep the budget down. Because there might mm -hmm. be simple steps you could do yourself, mm -hmm. which will keep the budget down. So we've sort of covered, uh, because this is a design episode, we've kind of covered a grouping of design concepts. So how would you characterize the design, overall design concept of this episode? Well, I mean, the, the, the category of unity and harmony, so more or less to unify what you do have, that it's har harmonious. So it's taken away things that are objectionable. Mm -hmm. So to have, you know, I think similarity is one of the, 
is nested within unity and harmony. So similarity, not to dumb down what you have, but to have that there's a sense of, oh yeah, this all goes together. Mm, mm-hmm. It's not the time for curb appeal to be wildly unusual. I mean, unless that is really the characteristic, like the home's architecture is unusual, the paint color, there's sculpture that's part of it. So, I mean, if the whole body of more or less is unusual, of course, that's different. But it's not the time to have something that's known ever, that an element that no one's ever seen before. <laughs> Very good. Well, this was a, a wide ranging episode, and hopefully, it gave you something to think about or reflect on in your own home project. And I'm looking forward to getting that canopy thinned. <laughs> we get a little more light. That'll be an, like another episode. A whole other episode. How do you prune a Texas live oak? With a sharp saw. It's it's hardwood. Oh, right. Oh, well, that's a lot of work. Which, which it's good. We have, we have lots of sharp tools. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's this conversation that lets you know when you need to hire someone to help. So. So it's always good to pre-plan. So we look forward to coming up with another episode for you next week and always welcome feedback and um, feel free to connect with us. Thank you. All right. Hope you get out in the landscape sometime soon. Until then. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full service landscape design, care and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you. So drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details, And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.